0: Um, What I'd like to do is uh, let me first read today's passage, um, and then I'll introduce our guest speaker for today, and, and then we'll sing, Speak, O Lord. So let's all rise and have God's Word open us up to Genesis chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 to 9. This is God's Word. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank
1: you, uh, ELMC, for having me. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Stephen, for those kind words. I um, just want to just express uh, my gratitude and appreciation just for your support and your, um, your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for sending john he 's been such a blessing uh, to our ministry and actually just a vital aspect of it so uh, I think our whole team I speak on behalf of our whole team that we are grateful for all of you for your prayers for your support and for sending uh, people um, I just want to share with you what this partnership has uh, produced uh, over these years um, and just kind of an overview about uh, the mission in Southeast Asia. We're actually located um, all over uh, Southeast Asia. I think there's some countries that are off the list, but we're in Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Myanmar, Singapore, and the Philippines. But um, I started in Cambodia, and that's where I I currently live and spend most of my time. And so we're actually in Phnom Penh City, capital city, and also in some of the surrounding villages. Uh, Next slide. And uh, fortunately, um, we don't do this ministry by ourselves, my family and I, uh, but we have a team there. Uh, We work with uh, brothers and sisters that are um, from all over the states, from the West Coast, from the South, from Minnesota, uh, from all various backgrounds, um, and people that, honestly, I would never have met or befriended, but have become close to on the field. Next slide. Not only our team, but we actually get to work with our Cambodian brothers and sisters. So this this larger team of our national partners um, that we get to have the privileges of working together with, and not just our team, uh, but next slide, um, but just also uh, people that God has sent to us, interns such as John. Um, And also, next slide, um, short-term teams. And all together, God has brought um, us all for the purpose of, uh, next slide, um, to see uh, Christ exalting a church planning movement that bears witness um, in Cambodia to the ends of the earth. What we desire to do as a team, as we work together, is really to... um, see churches being planted that in turn plant other churches so that there's a witness of Christ throughout the whole country and throughout the whole region. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, In order to realize this um, vision of seeing church planting movements in Cambodia, we believe that there are three things that are needed, Uh, a pipeline of equipped leaders, church leaders, a core of growing uh, disciples, and also a model of a healthy church. Next slide. So, um, with regards to a pipeline of equipped leaders, what we do, one of the first things we do is we uh, equip and we partner with uh, Cambodian pastors and their families. Uh, We engage in um, theological education. We do ministries with the whole families and work in their marriages and just come alongside them because pastoring in Cambodia is just a challenging endeavor. So we, we try to be um, a resource to them, uh, a support to them. Next slide. Um, and we do things like annual family retreats with the pastors. Next slide. And through this partnership, we've been able to um, plant churches, four churches in the city, and also, next slide, four churches. In the village. Um, the, the other aspect is our discipleship ministry. Cambodia is a really young country. Over 50% of the country is uh, less than 30 years old. And so um, it's a wonderful opportunity to actually disciple, to raise up future uh, members of the church and future leaders of the church. So a lot of what we do is engage. Uh, with um, college students and young adults. Uh, in the village, John's working with high school students and junior high students to really uh, to speak into their lives, to walk alongside them, to encourage them in their faith, and to um, be a model of what um, a Christian looks like. Next slide. Uh, next slide. Uh, sorry, next slide. I think... I put these out of order. Um, The third part is also just being a model of a healthy church. Um, We really focus on having the gospel center in the churches. And that's what the pastors embrace as well. And that's seen in their worship. uh, That's seen also in the love of their community, especially through mercy and through justice. So one of the ways we partner with them is uh, coming alongside them uh, with medical resources. We partner with a medical clinic, and these clinics partner with our local churches to show the love of Christ in their communities through medicine. Uh, next slide. But also um, through justice ministries. One of, the, one of the challenges in Cambodia is human trafficking, uh, especially sex trafficking, and we have partnered with, um, with ministries that really minister uh, to the survivors of these uh, crimes. And um, we partner with the local church who've embraced this demographic and even have brought them into the dorm ministries so that they are in a community as they continue on in their education um, that is safe, that is nurturing, that embraces them especially in a community that, a society that stigmatizes them and um, looks down upon them. The church has been uh, a community that has been able to encourage them and to remind them they are beautiful as they're made in the image of God, no matter what experiences they've been through. Next uh, slide. Um, our current, one of the current projects uh, that we're involved in and one that I want to update because um, ELMC has been... Such a wonderful supporter of it has been our Khmer Mission Center. And it's actually a, an integrated space that um, allows us to further expand our ministry and have a more permanent presence in Cambodia. It'll be a, a church, it'll be a dorm ministry, it'll be a place where our presbytery meets, it'll be where our team office meets, um, it'll be a place where ministry can be done together. with the the field missionaries as well as national partners. And I just want to give a special thank you for just your support in making this happen. Uh, Next slide. Uh, In December last year, we had our opening um, groundbreaking service, and uh, now they are pouring the, uh, the floor for the third floor of the building. And so it's exciting to see something that's been prayed over for many years to come to fruition. And I do hope that um, many of you can come and see uh, once it's completed what God has done and to see the ministry that's going to take place there. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for your partnership uh, in the gospel. Um, all of this that I shared is uh, possible through... Uh, your partnership and your love and care for us. Um, And as I look upon this, I'm I'm just amazed to see what God has done. God has done through uh, the field team and God has done through this partnership. Um, And even it's been an occasion for reflection in my own life, uh, just to see where God has brought me over the years. I first heard about missions when I was um, a senior in college. And at that time, um, I the, the the story I heard was that there are many people in many countries around the world that have yet to hear the gospel, and because they didn't hear the gospel, they were going to perish in their sin, and thus the need to go out and to share the gospel, and that was a heavy burden. When I heard that, my heart was uh, full of just this anxious desire to, to be used to help uh, alleviate this problem, and I, I felt this weight that no person can wear, bear, and that is, to save souls. And yet that is kind of the story that I heard, and that's kind of the motivation I had to go on missions. And I don't know if that's true for you when you hear about missions and when you hear about the urgency of missions, if that is also a story that you hear and something that weighs on your heart. Um, But I think the problem with that, if that's the only motivation for missions, uh, it kind of puts God outside the equation. Because the only person that can really save souls is God, right? And so I want to share with you a story today uh, from the Tower of Babel that I I hope can bring kind of a fuller picture of what missions is about and what motivates us for missions. Um, there, There are two things in the story that I hope to bring out, and one is that God is the Lord of mission. He's the one who fulfills his mission and carries out his mission, and we have the privilege of participating in that. The second is, there is a beauty to God's mission. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. And because it's beautiful and because it's glorious, it invites us to participate in what God is doing. Um, So I just want to just jump into our passage with that and start with verse 1. In verse 1 it reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Um, It's interesting uh, that the Bible says that they had one language and the same words. There's an emphasis there. The story takes place sometime after God rescues Noah and his family from the flood, when everything and everyone was wiped away in judgment. And at this point in history... Uh, there was this group of people that had one language. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting that it continues with one words. Why is that? Well, you know, um, I have two boys, Caleb and Nate. Caleb is 18, uh, Nate, Nathaniel, he's 14. And I believe we speak the same language, English, but sometimes I don't understand what they're saying because they use different words, right? They say things that I have no idea what they're referencing or the context they have, because uh, they have their own kind of lingo, vernacular, uh, idioms. And um, yeah, it's, it's been uh, challenging for me to expand my vocabulary to understand what they're saying. But this people, they had the same words. They had the same vocabulary, the same expressions, the same vernacular. And what this pointed to was that they had the same culture. There was a oneness there. There was a uniformity there. Um, and there was uh, just a sameness. And everything seemed fine until we reach verse 2 immediately. And there are indications of trouble. See, the people started migrating to the land of Shinar, and they settled down there, and they wanted to lay down roots there. And the ESV it states that the people migrated from the east. Um, In my humble opinion, I I believe there is actually a better translation. If you look, for example, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 11, the same exact Hebrew phrase is used, but it's translated as, Lot journeyed east. Uh, Why is this important? Well, um, everywhere in Genesis, wherever people traveled eastward, it meant that they were moving away from the presence of God. For example, Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they left the Garden of Eden, they traveled east. When Cain sinned and killed his brother and uh, was judged by God, he traveled east. When Lot went east, he went to what city? The city of Sodom. Going east signified this journey away from the presence of God and also away from the mission of God. And this is confirmed in verse 4 when now, um, at Shinar, the people say, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Um, you know, when I, when I first read this passage, um, I thought that the people of Shinar, they're prideful. They're filled with hubris and arrogance. They want to reach God. They want to reach heaven. They want to be like God himself. Right? And God, seeing this, he wants to punish them. He wants to judge them. But as we look more closely at the story, I think there's something else that's happening here. See, in verse 4, the reason why they give for building a city, a tower, and making a name for themselves is that they do not want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. There's a fear there. There's a fear of being separated, a fear of being scattered, a fear of being dispersed. But the question is, why were they fearful? Right? Why did people build cities in the ancient world? Well, cities they built had walls, and it was to keep out external threats, like enemies or animals or... whatever whatever threats that uh, would come to them. Why did they uh, build towers in the ancient world? Well, it was um, a vantage point where you could see where threats were coming in. But also, um, it was also a way to bring security um, and powers from heaven down to earth. For example, uh, the Babylonians had a story of the founding of a city, Ironically, the city's name was Babel or Babylon, and Babel meant uh, gate of God, right? It was a city where the gods could come down and help in protecting the city. But in our story, uh, it seems a little different. The concern is not external threats. The concern is being dispersed. See, the people of China, they built the city not to keep enemies out, but rather to keep what they valued inside. They built a city and a tower to preserve what they had. They wanted to keep their language. They wanted to keep their culture. They wanted to keep their people. They wanted to keep their name. They wanted to maintain their uniformity. Because what would happen if they were dispersed? They would encounter new lands, new vegetation, new animals, new foods, new habitats. What would happen? new peoples would form, new languages would form, new cultures would form. And this is the tension in the story. See, as I mentioned earlier, the story takes place after God saves Noah, and after God saves Noah and his family, he gives them a command in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, the people of Shinar They had a mission that was going against God's mission. What God desired was actually to see people filling the earth, being dispersed, so that they would develop diversity. But rather than filling the earth, they huddled together, attempting to find security in their own mission, in in what was familiar, in what was sameness to them, what was comfortable and secure. Now, I just want to take a moment before I talk about the mission of God and just think in our own context, in our own situations. What are the things that you're building? What are the cities and towers that you're building, and what are the things that you want to protect there, that you fear that may be dispersed? It could be a thousand things. It could be your reputation, your financial security. It could be your accomplishments. It could be your beauty and image. It could be your family or relationships. It could be your comfort and security. And here's the follow-up question. Does the fear of losing those things draw you closer to the presence of God, or do they move you eastward, away from the presence of God? I felt this um, acutely during the pandemic. Uh, In Cambodia, you know, everything... Is in person. It was very hard to move church online just because of the nature of where Cambodia is as a country, technologically and otherwise. Um, and it was hard for me because I couldn't meet with my teammates. I couldn't meet with the national pastors. And, um, you know, I felt like I wasn't doing anything. And that was where my identity was, in my ministry. When I was doing ministry, I felt like I was being valuable, that I could contribute something, that I had an identity worthwhile. But when um, I couldn't, um, you know, my city was falling apart. My identity was being dispersed. What I valued was um, decreasing. The reality is that uh, I had to ask myself the question, why was I doing ministry? Was it because I loved God and because I loved my neighbor or was it because I loved myself the reality is that everything that God calls you to whether it's to be a child of God to love sacrificially your spouses your children, your friends, your neighbors to be faithful stewards of all that God has given you to be a faithful witness in a society that's increasingly hostile to followers of Christ all of that means stepping outside of what gives us security and comfort and it does mean suffering. It does mean loss. All disciples of Christ will experience this. Do you find that your trust and security are in the cities and towers that you built? Or do you find your mighty fortress to be God himself? So how does God respond um, to these people at China? Well, he comes down from heaven Obviously, the tower was not high enough. So he comes down himself, and in verse 6, uh, he responds. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God sees for himself and confirms their uniformity in contradiction to his mission. They're one people with one language. And now some may read this and think, okay, God's now angry and he's going to punish them. But it's interesting how he responds in verse 7. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The emphasis is first on the confusion of language, then the dispersion of, throughout all the earth. See, what God's doing here is first, he's creating a diversity of languages. Right? That's the first thing he does. He creates a diversity of languages so that they will be dispersed throughout all the earth. See, God's actions aren't primarily punitive, but he's fulfilling his mission And this is what we see in chapter 10, the previous chapter. If you read chapter 10, uh, if you're like me, it's hard to read through because it's genealogy, right? And uh, you're, you know, if you're like me, you kind of just skim through it really quickly. But what's interesting is you see this phrase being repeated basically 70 times because there's 70 people groups that are listed out. And it's this refrain by their clans, their language, their lands, and their nations over and over and over again. See, chronologically, chapter 11, the the narrative we read, comes before chapter 10. Chapter 10 describes this dispersion and this uh, diversity that comes about as people migrate throughout the lands. But what chapter 11 tells us is that it's actually God behind all that's happening. It was God that was moving And even working through the sin of people to create this wonderful diversity of languages and peoples and lands. What this tells us is that the mission of God is first and foremost His work. Even in the midst of sin, God is building His mission. Uh, During the pandemic, one of the challenges that we had was that, like I said, it was hard to move church online. So one of the pastors that we worked with He just started taking videos of himself, preaching the gospel, and sharing uh, Bible studies. What was amazing is that people all over the country started tuning in because he put it on Facebook. And people, believers and unbelievers alike, started contacting him, asking him questions. And all of a sudden, he was discipling people that we would never have had access to. And a whole ministry developed from this. God is working even during the pandemic, when nothing, everything should have shut down, nothing can stop God's mission. And that's the first point I want to make as we think about missions. God is in control. And we are, it's not our work. Right? And that's the gospel of missions. God's doing it. God's moving forward. And we have the privilege of seeing it and participating in it. But why does God want to have a diversity of people, languages, and nations? And this brings me to my second point, the beauty of God's mission. In the very next chapter, chapter 12, God calls Abram, he calls him to leave his country, his home, his wealth, his family, his security, to be dispersed to an unknown land in order to fulfill God's mission. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason why God commands Noah and his sons to fill the earth, the reason why God confused the language of the people of Shinar, the reason why God makes this promise to Abram is so that he can bless the families of the earth. God's mission is to bless the nations by bringing together the full diversity of peoples, languages, and cultures, and blessing them. And what does this blessing look like? Well, if you read the whole Bible, you see it all throughout. But we're going to go all the way to uh, Revelation to see what the final picture of that blessing looks like. And it's captured in worship. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. See, the same refrain, right? Here we see before God a gathering of this great multitude of a diversity of peoples, languages, and cultures, and what were they doing? Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fall on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. See, we here have a vision of the fulfillment of God's mission in history. And we're presented with a picture of heavenly eternal worship before the presence of God. And imagine if you will with me, that you right here are surrounded with people from all over the world. And everyone is praising and singing in their own language, in their own way. And it's not confusing, but it's intelligible And it's beautiful and harmonious with innumerable saints and it's glorious. It's beautiful. You know, I got a taste of this in Cambodia after spending a year of learning language and going to Sunday worship and not understanding anything. And then one day, praising and listening to the sermon and being able to understanding and it hit home, hit my heart and me being able to just be able to release and worship in Kamai. I just had a taste of what that heavenly worship would be like. It's going to be like that, but manifoldly more amazing. Each and every language reflecting some aspect of God's creativity, beauty, and likeness, all together reflecting His unity. And we're not surprised by this because this diversity of God's mission reflects God himself, right? God is diversity and unity, trinity, triunity. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united in one God. It's no, no wonder that his mission reflects who he is. His diversity reflected in the diversity of creation of the peoples that he created, unity in worship together. Only a diverse worshiping community can fully glorify Him. And that's what the story of Babel teaches us about the beauty of God's mission. And that's what compels us to want to join in that. I just want to um, end there and just jump into some application. What does this mean for us? I'm going to just start with the beauty of God's mission. If the mission of God is indeed beautiful, I think there's something that we can learn from that diversity. So missions is not just giving and praying and sending, but it's also receiving, receiving from the people that we meet throughout the world. Um, I had this uh, opportunity to meet uh, a pastor in Vietnam, and he was working with uh, a deaf community because they had no church. And they do all their worship in sign language and they worship using their body. You know, for us, we can learn something about that. And he learned something about that because he saw worship that was so different than the worship he was used to and a worship that we're probably not used to. You know, being able to worship with our hands and our feet and our whole body, expressing it in uh, praise and adoration to God. Right. Um, and I believe that one day there's going to be a diversity of sign language. There, there are over 300 sign languages uh, in the world today, including Vietnamese sign language. And all of those are going to be represented one day in that eternal worship. I think it also speaks to our own identity, our own heritage. I remember um, in 2002 um, in Flushing, that's where I was living at the time, um, and um, if you guys may know, uh, Korea and Japan were hosting the World Cup in football, right? Real football, where you kick with your foot, right? And uh, Korea just went into the semifinals, and the whole city lost its mind. I don't know. Some of you may have been there. And they had watch parties everywhere, in Korean restaurants, even in some Korean churches. And, you know, in the churches, they had these red devil shirts, which sounds heretical, But people were going crazy, and they were so proud of being Korean, And there was so much celebration, so much joy. Brothers and sisters, whatever your ethnic identity is or your heritage is or your demographic is, we should have even more joy and more celebration because God is going to use that tradition, that culture, that language to be part of that tapestry of worship to him. It will be used to further glorify him. And this applies to the local church here, ELMC. Your worship, the way you worship, your particular worship is also going to be expressed in that heavenly tapestry one day. And finally, the certainty of God's mission. God is the Lord of the mission. God doesn't just call us, but he also called his Son and the Holy Spirit. God called... um, his son to his mission. Just like Abraham, the son of God, was dispersed from heaven to a foreign land, he left his home, family, and the riches of heaven to come to earth. But because of his faithfulness in his mission, the work of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection fulfilled the promise to Abraham that everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, if they have faith in Christ, would be blessed and be part of that heavenly communion. God the Father also called the Holy Spirit to be upon the church so that the church would go out into the world proclaiming the mission of God and saving a people from every nation. The Holy Spirit continues to bless this church and all of the churches throughout the world that we would not be just behind walls, but that our presence would be go out to disciple and baptize the nations. And this gives us great freedom that God is working. We're not coerced to be part of missions, but we're emboldened because He's moving, and we can join Him. So pray. Pray that ELMC would go and just look at the diversity, even in this area, even in the Philly area, and just see the diversity around there. Pray for the different groups, people groups that are here. Pray that there would be worshiping communities established there and would be raised up, that one day they would be part of that heavenly worship. Pray for, uh, that people would be raised up here, like John, that they would go out and be part of that work that God is doing. Pray that ELMC would continue to be just a wonderful partner in the gospel in Southeast Asia and throughout the world, and ultimately that we would be able to worship and glorify God all together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you are a God who has a mission and um, it's a mission that you carry out that's not dependent upon us but it's uh, dependent completely and solely upon you but we thank you that we have this wonderful privilege of participating of witnessing of coming alongside what you're doing to see uh, how you are reaching the nations and fulfilling your mission of this wonderful worship that we will have in eternity where all peoples, languages, and cultures will come together and to worship together in one voice, united in their adoration of you. I pray, Lord, that even as we finish our worship here, that our minds could be heavenward, that our hearts could be dispersed throughout the world, And that we'd be reminded that at this very moment that we participate, even globally, in that worship, would that encourage us? And would that open our eyes to something greater and more wonderful and more beautiful than we can imagine and that would draw us to you and to your mission and desire for us to see more glory to you? We thank you. pray this in Jesus' name.